This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Today, shall I speak to Medicines on Frontier MSF or Doctors Without Borders Regional Director Paul Brockman as he gives us a sense of the situation of the Rohingya crisis taking place. Welcome, Paul. You know, thank you very much for joining us. We're having this conversation because MSF has produced a short animation film titled Lost at Sea about a story that reflects the atrocities faced by the Rohingya that are seeking refuge. Give us the reason and motivation to why MSF created this movie. One of the reasons that, that we've been working on this this animated film that you mentioned called Lost at Sea, I mean, we, we first heard that story more than three years ago. Mm. And it was kind of during the COVID era, era when there were there were quite a number of boats out there moving back and forth, being pushed back, that we we asked ourselves, how how can we help create some sympathy rather than just fear? Uh, from communities that 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 face the Rohingya refugee populations wherever wherever that is in the world, and we've been working with Rohingya um, in Myanmar and Bangladesh since 1992 here in Malaysia for nearly a decade now. Mm. And and I mean here as anywhere in the world, you know, people view refugees and migrants that are fleeing either for their safety or in hope of a future and and some security and a better life for their children. You know, they face a range of different responses. And Lost at Sea, I think it's just a, a moving and beautiful, beautiful film that's a true story based on what someone that we met here in Malaysia told us a few years ago about his own journey more than a decade ago in one of the earlier waves of violence. And we thought, let's let's just put this out there and see how the world reacts and see if it helps create more engagement rather than rejection with the question of how do we create safer and, and more hopeful spaces for them. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, because sometimes we in the radio station, when we talk about the Rohingya plight, it's it's always, you know, viewed as a macro story about the challenges that Muslims have in Myanmar, about the living conditions they operate in Penang and in Malaysia and in Bangladesh, right? But we rarely hear the personal stories because as the broader public, we don't get access to these unique personal individual stories, right? This is the goal here, really, to try and connect some personality to connect with all of us here. Very much so. I mean, it's, it's one of the it's, I think it's one of the responsibilities that we have as, as Médecins Sans Frontières, as, as Doctors Without Borders. And it's both a responsibility and a gift, in my view. We we have the privilege of, of really working individually, patient by patient, with millions of patients around the world every day to help save their lives, to help bring them back into a sense of, of dignity and, and, and self-control or decision-making. And um, I think with that comes the responsibility to help them tell their own stories and to help share with other communities the challenges that, that they face so that we can work towards a bit more of a solution for everyone and a bit more dignity and, and health for everyone. Yeah. It's so fascinating because as, as part of Medicine Sun Frontier, you would think that the f- pure remit was to just, you know, provide health access, to really make sure that you give people the capacity to do their own choices in life, right? To give them the health back fundamentally. But even with that health provided back fully, many are kind of restricted and and unable to exercise their full freedom. Oh, that's that's so well put. Thank you for, for putting it that way. I mean, I first worked in Bangladesh myself. I was I was there as the emergency coordinator in late 2018 and some of early 2019. I was back again in late 2019 and a lot of 2020 during the early COVID phase. And the way you just said that, you know, we can give people their health, but there's so much more after that. 
that was exactly my experience of how the response was. If you remember, most of us will remember those those really terrifying photos of long queues of, of Rohingya lined up desperate to get into to Bangladesh in, in August and September, October, night, you know, so on of 2017, as that extreme violence was happening in, in, in northern Rakhine. And there was so much sympathy then. And I think that the, the Bangladesh government's willingness to open that border, open that land, create what is now the world's largest refugee camp, what has been for now more than six years, the world's largest refugee camp. One of the great successes is we were able, as MSF and many other actors, to preserve the lives, to do some restoration of the dignity, to alleviate some of the suffering of those hundreds of thousands of Rohingya that fled in fear of their lives in direct response to violence. And that's not enough. You know, humans need more than just life. They need a sense of purpose. They need a sense of hope. They need a sense of dignity. They need a sense of belonging to something. And all parents want a future for their children. And that's what no one has been able to help more Rohingya have in the world. Hmm. And that, I think, is is a collective failure of the international system. And it's something that we should all address together. This collective failure of the international system, I, I do think that the most devastating part of this whole crisis really is the statelessness of these two and a half to three million Rohingyas, right? That Myanmar doesn't recognize them, that they really are in no man's land, literally, uh, in terms of their identity as well as, you know, physical physicality is really not recognized as well in Myanmar. That is, in my view, I think the most devastating part about not having an identity in this whole process. Oh, very much so. I mean, I, uh, as I said, I, I first worked directly with Rohingya colleagues in 2018 in Bangladesh. Since then, now in my current responsibilities from our Amsterdam office, I'm responsible for our work in, you know, Bangladesh and, and Myanmar, as well as here in Malaysia and, and a few other countries as well. So I've spoken with Rohingya colleagues um, around the world in the diaspora outside those three countries and, and many, many colleagues and patients in those three countries. And I remember back in 2018, I thought, well, the solution is is find a way for Rohingya to return with, with some choice, with some knowledge, with some dignity to Myanmar. We all know what's happened to Myanmar in the intervening mm-hmm. years. Uh, right now, there's ongoing violence in, in, in Rakhine itself, which is where the Myanmar would go home to if they could go home. And most that I speak to want to go home. So I think I think what many of us are thinking more and more as these years go by is, Yes, we do need to focus on the situation in, in Myanmar, the collective global system, the UN and, and, and regional nations, as well as world world leaders need to come together to create a more stable environment there. I think there's no question about that. In the meantime, there are millions of Rohingya everywhere that deserve better now. There are Rohingya children growing up that ask me, why why can't I grow up and be a doctor like, like some of you MSF people are? And I don't have a good answer to that question. Mm. And I, th- I think we owe those children a better answer to that question. What is then the aim of this film? It is a very powerful depiction of a personal individual person. But we want to stress the importance of recognizing that collective identity, that full identity of the Rohingya, so that actually the personal can fulfill their greatest potential, right? Uh, fundamentally, they are both intertwined in that sense, right? When you decided or when MSF decided, you know, to push for this film, Lost at Sea, right, what were the main objectives? Who did you want this film to speak to? Well, 
I guess we wanted to speak to a younger generation, people that, you know, maybe were too young to notice back in 2017 when all that violence happened and, and the lines of, of survivors were desperate to get into Bangladesh or people that, that, that maybe were otherwise occupied and didn't notice that story back in 2017. The world always moves on, new cycles always move on. So I think we wanted to engage a new generation around the world. We certainly also wanted to find a way to engage audiences and, and neighbors, you know, host communities. It's, it's when I work in Bangladesh, I engage an awful lot um, in my current role and also when I worked there in the country before with local authorities. And, and you know, it's, it's hosting the world's largest refugee camp is not easy for the people in those parts of Bangladesh that are doing it. They've lost what was parkland before. They've lost places that their families went to recreate. Um, and I'm really sympathetic with that burden. On the other hand, I think that it's important to remember that the Rohingya themselves carry very heavy burdens and aren't left with other choices because of the situation in which the global system has left them. I, I, I have similar conversations with colleagues and with officials and with regional authorities here in, 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 in Malaysia. And I think all those communities everywhere face this challenge. Yes, we we welcome migrants sometimes. We welcome immigrants and refugees at times. But there's also a change to our own way of life. And we hope a film like this will help spur dialogue and spur engagement and spur discussion about interim solutions that bring more dignity, more hope, that take advantage of all the opportunities of all the... I mean, I come from a nation of, of, of my immigrants. You know, I come from the United States and I know how hard my grandparents worked when they landed. Mm. I think all immigrants have that experience. We work hard and we try to prove ourselves. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there are millions of Rohingya that would contribute to any host country that, that welcomes them. And at the same time, every Rohingya I have ever spoken with says, I want to go home. I want to go back to Rakhine, but I need to do it with some status. I need to do it with some protection. I won't go back if I'm going to be put in another closed camp with no choices for myself or my children. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with MSF Regional Director Paul Brockman about their latest movie, Lost at Sea. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, MSF Regional Director Paul Brockman as he helps us unpack the plight faced by the Rohingyas in this decade-long conflict. Paul, you talk about the failure of the global system in addressing this travesty. Can you explain further what this failure is? Well, I mean, I think First and foremost, allowing this this stagnation of, of a large persecuted minority with who have been actively stripped of their citizenship rights. I mean, there there's so many stories and so much documentation of Rohingya who 20 and 40 and 50 years ago held posts in government in Myanmar, had higher educations in Myanmar and professional jobs and were engaged. And, and one of the efforts that, that's been quite successful is in the camps in Bangladesh, there's a Rohingya history or museum that reminds people of this fact. Mm. Rohingya were active participants in Myanmar society until the active act of stripping them of their dignity, their rights, their participation ability started in the 1970s. Um, so I think that was the first failure. Humans deserve basic recognition. You and I both have a claim on the countries that we're from for some protection. Um, I think that was the first. I think the second is, and this is something that I hear uh, colleagues and, and officials, particularly when I'm working in, in, in Bangladesh, speak about. You know, Bangladesh did open its borders. They are hosting the world's largest refugee camp. That refugee camp lacks dignity. That refugee camp lacks sufficient water and sanitation. That refugee camp doesn't have sufficient access to health care. I mean, 
a huge percentage of people living in those camps face scabies, which is just it's so undignified and it's so uncomfortable. I, I've never had scabies, but I've been told it's a bit like having bed bugs, which I have had, and it's not comfortable. Mm. The reason for that is lack of sufficient water and sanitation. The reason for that is lack of sufficient funding to the joint response plan, which which has been underfunded from the beginning, and 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 donations to that fund are going down. So rather than asking any one nation, such as Bangladesh or Malaysia, to hold all of that burden collectively, the UN system and donor and participant government in the region and around the world need to step up and do more. All in all, these host nations, Malaysia, Bangladesh, they've been generally generous, isn't it? They have opened themselves up for, for support. Is that fair? I think there's a lot of community members in, 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 in all of these host nations, especially Bangladesh and Malaysia, which both host quite a number of Rohingya. I think there's a lot of community members and government officials in both places that really do the best they can. Mm. Um, I think what we're calling on here in Malaysia is, is to continue that, to continue looking for pragmatic midterm solutions. I think what we're, we're, we're asking in Bangladesh is recognizing, yes, indeed, a return to Myanmar is the desired end goal, but practically that's going to take some time. So I think, you know, the United States, for example, has started opening a few more relocation slots for third country relocations. Again, every Rohingya I've spoken with says, I want to return to Rakhine. So even if you do relocate, I think if stability comes back to Rakhine, I suspect a lot of people will want to go home. Some may stay away as my ancestors did. And I'm kind of glad because now my home when I'm there is back in the US where I'm happy to live. But I think some choice is necessary. And I think some sharing of this burden. I think really what I find most disturbing overall is this region has been left alone with this problem for too long. And, and I think more global powers need to step up. And this conflict has been going on for near more more than a decade, right? And it's been superseded by even larger conflicts. I mean, we look at the conflict in Middle East, Palestine, Gaza, the Russia-Ukraine war. All that has superseded the fact that this has been a 10-year-long uh, bloodshed. Conflict piles upon conflict and news cycles move on. And indeed, the Rohingya and and a lot of other people in other regions of Myanmar, in particular in in recent years, have faced this ongoing challenge without a lot of support from from global actors and global powers. How do you talk to these global actors and global powers about the work you do, right? It's an incredible work, but one would say it's a means to an end or even, well, that, that would be the generous way of saying it, right? That what you do now is so essential for the short term, but we do really need to see that end state structural solution. And that requires the global system, global powers to get their act together truly and focus on the situation. How do you respond to people who say, look, what you're doing now is just a band In a lot of ways, what we are doing when we face patients day by day, particularly in the camps in Bangladesh, even here in Malaysia, it is just a Band-Aid. And that's true. I think a lot of us that work with MSF, Doctors Without Borders, around the world, we often feel that we're the doctors in the war zones or we're the doctors in the refugee camps. We're the clinical staff that do keep people alive, that do our best through mental health counseling and so on to have restore some sense of hope, some sense of dignity for people who've been forced to flee or who have faced, you know, violence wherever they are. But I think this comes back to one of those other aspects of why I'm speaking with you today is, you know, our first and foremost act is to face patients and save their lives, restore their dignity. Our second act is to hold that mirror up to a system that says humans should have some safety where they are. Humans should have some recognition where they are and say, come on, system, you need to step up. And and if we think about that list of global problems that you've been mentioning, I think it's a thing that we can all go to our own 
you know, governments and say, what are you doing to help make the problems better? You know, I think we should all do that wherever we are. That's right. And I think it's so frustrating because I think many of us here are pushing ASEAN governments to do something, but they, they tend to be a bit more status or status quo centric, right? They, they're not really pushing the needle or maybe there's a lot of work behind the scenes, but from the surface standpoint, we don't see any progress. It, as you said earlier, on, it is stagnation. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things I, I mentioned before, I, I think I mentioned before that, that I was in Bangladesh when COVID started. And my hope as someone who I've been working with, with Doctors Without Borders, MSF now for, I don't know, nearly 19 years. I really, I really expected and hoped that there would be more global recognition that we, we can't wall ourselves off. I, I, you know, I come from the U.S. And in the U.S., when I was growing up, we talked about, you know, the U.S. that walled itself in. Or the U.S. had opened itself up. You know, there was there was times when the United States didn't want to look outward. And I, I guess every nation goes through this. But I, I remember at a certain point realizing during COVID, no one can wall themselves off anymore. So your response can mm. be fear, but that's not going to help. You know, your response should be we're all in this together and, and we all should share part of the solution. And the wealthier nations should step up. The United States should step up. The European Union and Japan, Australia, they should step up. They shouldn't leave the countries in this region alone with this problem, and they shouldn't leave the countries in any other troubled region alone with their problems. We should all be helping raise the standard for anyone who's vulnerable anywhere. I don't think that's too much to ask. And it it would cost less than dealing with the problems after it explodes. For sure. I think what you're calling for is demand for immediate action, right, by the global and international community to really structurally find the the, the fixes here, right, to basically create at home where the, where the Rohingya feel comfortable back at Rakhine State. I think that really is a necessary end state required. I think that's the mid to long, well, that's the longer term solution, creating stability in Myanmar is a complex thing that I think mm-hmm. more global powers need to step up to and address more consciously and more actively now. In the meantime, I think that immediate, more immediate and, and, and tangible measures such as better funding to the JRP uh, in Bangladesh, better support to other regional powers with, you know, currently you'll see a lot of media stories about boats being pushed here, being pushed there, being refused to land here, being refused to land there. That's absurd. Uh, we should all step up a little bit more and, and actors outside the region should provide more support to actors in the region, whether that looks like more third country relocations or whether that looks like support to the humanitarian programs in any country that does accept refugees. I think all of these measures should be taken and they should be taken now. And give us a sense in terms of the situation in Bangladesh and Malaysia, how can we as individuals, concerned individuals in our you know, respective countries help and make the situation better for us, especially those here in Malaysia, right? All of us here in Malaysia, how can we make the situation and improve the situation and contribute to alleviating the plight? Well, I have one simple ask right now, which is watch the film and imagine if that were you or your family. Um, One thing COVID certainly did to me is it made me realize that all of this can be affected by adversity anytime, anywhere. And um, I've worked over these decades now that I've worked with MSF, I've worked in some of the most war-torn parts of the world. And I've seen, honestly, I've seen more generosity and kindness and fellow human feeling in war zones often than in my own very privileged home back in the U.S. or where I'm living now in Amsterdam. And I think all of us need to, particularly, you know, at this time of year, end of the year in the North, it's Christmas time, you know, Mm. 
Um, remember that we're all human beings. We're all in this together. We only have one globe. Let's try to get along. Let's try to really remember that every parent everywhere in the world wants a future for their child. And it's, I don't think we should criminalize people who are trying to simply find a place to get their children educated, find health care for themselves, make sure that pregnant women aren't at risk of, of, of an unsafe birth just because they can't access the healthcare system. And I think we should all support measures that, that give these refugees in particular, but any other human who's vulnerable, a, a modicum of, of safety, stability, healthcare access, dignity. Mm. And I think we can do that. Mm. So, so that's, to- that's my main ask. Watch the film and consider, react the way you'd want to be treated if you were in the same situation, you know? How can we tangibly contribute? Like if many of us here in this season of giving, in this season when we have reconnected with our families, feel we actually need to connect to the broader global family, right? And actually connect with these families. How can we in Malaysia here, you know, either commit to our resources after we get inspired and watch this film then? You know, there are a lot of community service organizations. I think Malaysia is one of these countries that really has a very active community service and NGO sector. Um, I think there are quite a few, and I won't, I wouldn't want to single any out that wouldn't fit there. But I think if people did a bit of research and, and, and looked into, you know, here in the Klang Valley particularly, but elsewhere in the country as well. And I think there are more and more people coming together. We've been just this week meeting with with different actors, with government officials. There's a lot of interest in being more pragmatic. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's be pragmatic about the solution. Let's not turn it into opposition. Yes, no, good, bad. Let's find local solutions and let's all be part of finding those solutions together. That was MSF Regional Director Paul Brockman. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.